This entrepreneur, investor, and business advisor wants to disrupt the toxic hustle culture and replace it with something more holistic. Brooke Daniels is the CEO of Daniels & Co and director at Salesforce Ventures and has over a decade of experience in VC and tech. She is a force to reckon with in the venture capital space. This mindful business strategist, fluent in German, believes in striking a harmonious work-life balance by incorporating daily meditation. With over 15 years in the industry, she is an active angel investor who coached founders who successfully raised more than $75 million. She is an advisor for Black VC, Justice Technology Association, and is on the investment committee for the Cap Table Coalition. She is also a mentor to entrepreneurs with Techstars and Pharrell Williams' nonprofit, Black Ambition. I'm a big proponent of hard work, but also rest and relaxation. The holistic hustle is all about working smart and taking rest. Visit FarringdonJets.com to start planning your next trip to rest and relax in the height of luxury. Visit FarringdonJets.com. This is Michelle McKenzie and welcome to the WTO Podcast. Brooke, welcome to the WTO Podcast. Thank you, Michelle. I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to have you here for a number of reasons, not just because you've been in the VC space, you've been an entrepreneur, you've done coaching for other entrepreneurs, but also because of your approach to entrepreneurship. To dispel the hustle culture, and we'll get into that. But before we do, walk me briefly through your path to entrepreneurship. Did you choose it or did it choose you? Definitely. I would say. I chose entrepreneurship along the way. It's just always been a passion of mine. And so even early in my career, when I was working full-time in corporate, I was working in tech startup companies. And I could tell the difference between working at a large company where you're one small part of a really big thing and it just didn't speak to me as much versus being in the startups where you got to do so much stuff and create and really be a builder. And that resonated with me. And so the first company that we actually launched was when my husband graduated from culinary school, we opened a food truck and had a food truck and catering company called Street Spice in North Carolina for five years. Is Street Spice still around? It's not. We sold it. We sold it. Did you learn any important lessons from that initial foray into entrepreneurship? Oh my gosh, so many <laughs> lessons. Like, where do I start? I would say the biggest lesson that we learned was really around what it takes to scale up a company because we had a really hot brand. Our food truck looked amazing. My husband's a fantastic chef, so the food was good. But when it really came to meeting demand, it's a lot that goes into being able to do that, right? You bring demand in the door, but we had all these partnerships coming in. We had to learn how to really manage a team, always be hiring to turnovers kind of high in the restaurant industry. And so how do you overcome that turnover? And yeah, it was just an amazing experience that we really loved. But we exited it because we would let me know where I am now, really looked at life balance, the type of lifestyle that we wanted to lead. And unfortunately, it just did not meet all the check marks for us in terms of lifestyle alongside just the potential to grow the brand. 
So that shows you that having a successful business is not just about having a good product or a good service or even having demand. There are all these other things that come alongside that can make it challenging. Now, you're a business leader, an investor, and a business coach. From those various vantage points, how do you define success? Ooh, that's a good question, Michelle. <laughs> wow, that's going to be different from all the lens. And I think it's important that you do look at it from different perspectives because one thing that I try to debunk coming from venture capital and VC is the thinking that for some founders, just because they're not successful raising venture capital dollars, that does not mean that you don't have a great business. So I say that over and over again because sometimes they can be deflating and there's so many ways to have a good business. Venture capital is very specifically looking for high growth companies that have the potential to reach a massive market share. So billion dollar opportunities. Even if you don't have an opportunity that's a billion dollars, doesn't mean you don't have a great business, right? That can provide you the income you want, the lifestyle you want, the opportunity to create jobs in your communities. And so that's where I think it's always important to stay grounded in what's important to you and the lifestyle that you want to live. Because the minute that you throw that out the door and you think about growth at all costs, whatever it takes, you start to lose your center and you're just responding to all the external things that are happening around you versus being able to listen to yourself. Yeah, and some people feel as if because they're not at the stage yet where they can make a big announcement that they've made a big raise, that they're not successful. And success is so much more than to announce that you've raised venture dollars because there are companies who've raised millions and millions in venture dollars that are not around today. Absolutely. And that's the problem if you're looking at the market today. Venture capital is down. And so there are a lot of companies that are actually struggling right now and who unfortunately won't make it because they're so reliant on venture capital dollars to help them get from one growth to the next. They're not growing profitably. They're, they're growing at all costs. When in fact, the companies that will survive this kind of market downturn are the ones that think about profit first that are growing responsibly versus at a loss. And so I encourage everyone when you have that opportunity, even with how I'm growing my business, Michelle, to be lean, bootstrappy, and look at other examples and ways that you could do it. I don't know if you've ever read the book Profit First, which I love, love. I highly recommend. It's a Show the author so we can ensure that our listeners go read that as well. Yes, it's Michael. Let me make sure I can say his last name correctly. Mik Miklo Miklovek. It's M I C H A L O W I E Z. I don't want to mispronounce that, but you can Google search it. It's called Profit First. I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, I was going to say, it's a fantastic book, but it really shifts your mindset from feeling like, man, I have to have all the technology, this, that, right? All these things to grow my business. And you get back to the really basics of what you do and how you can really profit first and reinvest that into your business as an alternative way to grow from just venture capital and other ways to fund. Now, let's demystify entrepreneurship. Based on your role as an investor and entrepreneur yourself, and as a business coach, what are the five top things that you wished entrepreneurs knew either before they start a business or at the very startup stage of their business? Five top things. You have great questions, Michelle. <laughs> Number one, I would say to recognize that a great idea is not the same as a great business. And so I meet so many people Brooke, with... Can you press pause on that and just yes. say that again? Yes. 
a great idea does not make a great business. That's a great part. Yes. But it's not. And so all these people with amazing ideas that get stuck in the ideation stage because they can't take it further to build out the numbers behind it. And so no matter what it is you're building, it is a business. You really got to know how you're going to make money. And so I encourage people that when you've got that good idea to really put in the work to build out the business plan, build out your strategy. You can still stay lean. I definitely love a lean startup methodology where you test it, get your MVP out there. But you got to actually put the work in on the back end for the financials. So many people will ask, like, like how much money do you want to make? $100,000 a month. Do you even know how many sales are going to get you there? You actually have to have some goals around what you're shooting for. And so do that work to turn your great idea into a great business. That would be one. Two, I would say, I do encourage people to also do research on the competition. And I know that some people are in the build it in the car model. I know some people tell me that sometimes that they look at the competition too much, it gets in their head and maybe they overanalyze what they're doing. But you can learn a lot about audiences and what's missing in the market by looking at what's currently there. And so I know a lot of times I'll look at competitors, what they're saying, and also what their customers are saying about them. So looking at their reviews, right? And then you'll notice gaps that you can serve. So here's one person that does this great, but everyone's telling me their customer service is terrible. That's an area where I can really excel. And so not saying that you have to bite ideas or change everything about it, but you need to know what's out there to help you see other opportunities. Three, I would say, get yourself a community. You need other entrepreneurs around you. Hands down, if you are, your whole community and friend groups are people that haven't done it and who are not entrepreneurs. A lot of times when you're in those moments where you really actually need a boost or you need someone to talk you through a situation, they're not going to be able to be the ones, unfortunately, to do that for you. Just because they haven't experienced it, everybody doesn't have an entrepreneurship mindset, which is okay. But when you're growing and building, you need a network around you to help support you. Hands down. I would say four is make sure that you take care of yourself, which I know we'll talk about a lot. That one actually I probably should have put first on the list, but the hustle at all costs mentality is probably one of the absolute worst things we can do to actually get where we want to going because so many people burn out on, on the drive. And I was actually just reading an article this week that was talking about all of these big CEOs who were just doing like erratic behavior in the headlines and news, saying crazy things, apologizing, saying crazy stuff about people working from home or whatever. And it was like, do we need to like check in on our CEOs and ask them how they're doing? Because obviously people are reacting really negatively to stress or overworked. It's a tough economic climate. And you see the negative consequences that has even at the highest levels. And so every entrepreneur, I recommend prioritizing your health first because you cannot pour from an empty cup a burning candle everything needs oil and so you trying to run on e in flames and start something from scratch takes you out of your intuition it takes you out of your creative places all the things that you want to be feeling while you're you're creating i think was that four that was four number five five one more i would say don't focus on perfection which is hard to do sometimes, but that kind of lean startup, start small, get a minimum viable product out to market is definitely the way to go. And so no matter what you're doing, keeping it as low tech, low cost, low development as you possibly can 
and thinking about what is the smallest way that I can build this that adds value to my clients. And then you want to start there, get it out to the market, get feedback and pivot. You're going to pivot so much throughout your journey. I bet, Michelle, you've had a bunch of pivots with this podcast, right? For where's the funding? I'm still be pivoted. I feel like I pivot every season. So don't aim for that perfection up front. You know you're going to change. It's important to get it. Do you know? You want it, obviously, to provide quality and value, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And sometimes you just have to jump in the water, take that leap of faith to get you going. And so I encourage people not to get stuck and hung up on technology perfection. I got to have this and keep it low budget, minimal viable product stock to get started. I love that. Let me repeat quickly what the five are. One, recognize that a great idea does not make a great business. Like two snaps coming out the block with that. Number two, do market research on the competition. Know what's out there, know what they're doing, know what their audience is saying about them so that you can recognize the gaps that you can fill so that you can better compete. Number three, get yourself a community. Do not do entrepreneurship alone. It's not best done as a solo sport. It's a team sport. Number four, make sure that you take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself so that you can pour what you have into the business. If you are empty, then how can you really be successful and grow the business and hopefully lead a team if you have nothing to pour from? And number five, don't focus on perfection. I think that was a really great one to end on. Do not focus on perfection because people often get tied up in analysis paralysis and trying to get things right when they should just be trying to move things forward and you can iterate and perfect as you go. Thank you for those five, Brooke. Now, you have a program called Ready, Aim, Launch. How does it help entrepreneurs succeed? Tell us about it. Who is it for? And who should be a part of it? Yes. So Ready, Aim, Launch is, hits on a lot of the five points we just spoke about, but it's for founders and entrepreneurs in that ideation stage that don't know how to launch. And so many people were there, right? Great ideas, super talented, but it's, I don't know all the things I don't know. It's overwhelming for me to search Google, right? And try to come up with all the things I need to know to get this business off the ground. And so we do that. That's the concept of ready. Mindset is actually the first place where we start. So how do we get you in the right mindset to get going on your business? And then I've added in that wellness lens now around meditation, mindfulness. How do we help you recharge and make space so you can bring in something new? And then we go into the aim piece, which is, okay, you've got this idea. Let's go through all those components to get it launched. So we do some market research. We talk about finding our perfect and like best customer. And so a lot of times I talk to people and they're like, this product could be for everyone. And we know when it's for everyone, it's for no one, right? The riches are in the niches. And so how can we help you take something that at some point could be for everyone? And let's start, right, with who your best customer is and that audience. We go through then pain, identifying their pain. How are you going to show up and talk to your audience? How do you want to build your brand? And ultimately, we get you to a prototype. So actually getting that minimal viable product out to market, getting that customer feedback, getting it launched. And then we also do quite a bit of work on the business model. And so for people that are really uncomfortable with financials, we work through a pro forma, which is like a super simple plug and play template where now we're going to actually come out with your pricing. We're going to set goals. 
you want to make $100,000 per month, we're going to back into how many sales do you need and what price to do it. And so at the end of working through this program, my clients come out of it feeling very confident with what they're about to launch. If they're going to go funding and put dollars behind it, they're in a place where they feel like they're set up for success. So an important part of growing a successful business is capital. Venture financing has become quite popular and well-known as a source of financing, particularly for high-growth businesses. However, venture capital is not for every type of business. As So what should entrepreneurs understand about capital in general when they start their business before they embark on their fundraising journey? Yes. So I would start by saying, one, you have to acknowledge that we all need capital in entrepreneurship. At every level, a business cannot go without capital. Even if it's just a little bit, you're going to need some money to start your business. And so I think the first step is starting to be realistic around how much capital do you need to just get, again, we want to stay small. The goal is not to have too much bloat in your, your investments too fast. I unfortunately met, just as an example, a founder who told me, like, whenever I met her, I was at an event giving a speech and she was like, I quit my job, I drained my 401k and all my savings account, and I built this tech thing, and now I'm going to go sell it. I was like, oh, it's not the best way we recommend taking that approach, right? It's not to go, it's something to be said about growing all in, so I'm not taking away from that. But you don't want to do, to, that's way too much of the builder and they'll come. Now you don't have any income coming in, you've got nothing else to reinvest in the business, and you've built something that costs a lot of capital without the feedback of your customers. And so when we think about capital, I want to help people not do that. Not the best approach to take. And I say, one, you got to know how much it's actually going to cost you to build it. That's some of the work we do at Ready Aim Launch. But again, like, what is the smallest amount you need? And then two, I think, is being creative about the different ways that you can get it and what the trade-offs are. Because that's the realistic part about capital. And uh, it costs money, right? <laughs> Venture capital for some people may feel like free, quote unquote, capital, but it's not. You're giving up a large amount of your company, usually at a minimum 10% when you take on venture debt. And then every round, the more you take on, it goes up from there. But you have to be thoughtful about that ownership you're giving up. I think on Shark Tank, they give up way more than that, right? Like 20, 25, 30% sometimes. What I consider small amounts of money in some cases. Yeah, $50,000, $100,000. You can actually get that amount from, in some cases, from the SBA, from the Small Business Association. And there it's debt financing where you may be trading off. Their rates are usually pretty fair, right? So let's say 8%, something like that in exchange for the capital. But now you're retaining ownership of your company. And so just really being thoughtful on what you need and where are the sources that you can get it from. I've seen a lot of people have success with grant funding. And the other area... Well, my husband actually focuses on, we have a business called Alsace Legacy Group that helps founders understand business credit. And so how can we help you versus using all your personal savings, which I've done before. So there's no, this is no blame, no shame. We've all done this before, but helping people understand better ways than just draining all your savings, all your 401ks, you put your whole asset, right, into this business. Whereas with business credit, you can actually leverage on the business's credit without impacting your personal credit. And there's a lot that goes into that, but we help people understand how that can be a source of capital as well, alongside SBA loans, which that's actually a business loan as well, alongside business credit cards, business lines of credit. 
grants. And then, yes, for some companies, venture capital is the way to go. Quick question for that person you mentioned. Are there buyers? Who's interested in buying what she's built? That's the other thing. It's like a B2B play. And so it's going to be longer sales cycles to do it, probably more requirements. And so, yeah, it was something where you're not a consumer play. And so it would probably take a longer period of time to get people on the platform anyway. I see. Now, you've helped entrepreneurs. You've coached, raised over $75 million in VC dollars. What advice do you give to entrepreneurs that you coach when they are pitching and raising funds from VCs? A lot of advice that honestly, I find that when coaching and mentoring, it's actually always, it's actually more about asking the right questions to the founders. Because I tell them every, all the answers are actually already within you or you are talented and capable enough to come up with those. I'm just helping you see what maybe you can't see for yourself, right? And then drawing out your ideas and then helping you take those ideas through to execution. But for me, usually one of the big areas we focus on when getting ready to pitch is how to get product market fit. And I think that's the hardest thing for any entrepreneur getting started is product market fit. And that just means, do I have a market that my product is solving a specific need? And have I gotten enough customers acquired already to show that, yes, this is the way they want to solve this problem in the market? And generally, I find that founders are even... The ones I work with will have a lot of areas. I guess I'll give you the food truck example. Maybe I've got 15% of my income coming in through the food truck working lunches at corporate departments. And then over here, I've got another 15% coming from catering. And then over here, I've got another 15% coming from at-home online orders. And then I've got, and it's spread out across so many places. It's actually, you don't have product market fit at all. You've got a little bit in a lot of different places. So where are you able to show, you know, at a larger scale that you're really meeting the market need? And a lot of entrepreneurs, you have so many ideas. You see your vision at scale. You have to pull that back down actually to something smaller and attainable to help you get through VC funding. That makes sense. I spent a ton of time there on, yeah, you're going to do all these things, but where are you going to start? And what can we prove out before we start to split resources across all of these, right, adjacent and secondary markets? It's a really important part. And I think the other is just around, again, the financial model. Even just getting really in the weeds on how you're going to make money, how are you going to set goals, being realistic on the sales strategy. So when they're talking about what they're going to do with the money they're going to raise, people have confidence that you're actually able to go and do it. So this is what you tell the founders that you coach. So now when you're sitting on the other side of the table, playing the role of a VC, what is it that you look for in the founders who present to you? Yes. So I would say the big one is around convincing whichever VC you're talking to why you're going to be the market leader in your category. And that's where I tell people all the time, it's not always about having a good business or a great business. And VC, we want to pick the winner because whoever we pick for the category, we're going to double down, right? And try to ride along beside you on this journey. And so you have to really, that's why I said, no, your competition is important. You, when I leave, you leave the meeting, I want to know why you are going to win this category and what uniquely about you and your team allows you to do it. Sometimes people just talk about their credential or I've gone to this school, I've done this and I've done that. If that has nothing to do with what you're about to go do, just not relevant. Help me understand how you and your team are the best team that's going to go do this. And the other thing I think is probably around 
traction. It's very rare, I think, that you'll find, there's some places that will write first checks in, but usually you really want some traction. And so for us, whenever we're looking at a deal, we want to know how far have we already been able to go on this point, right, before taking in venture capital. So what customers, what ruins have you, uh, have you won? Are there companies that want to stand beside you as a pilot? What partners do you have? Who are your board members? But like really looking overall at what traction you have on this idea. Because if you think about venture capital, it's actually like fewer to help you grow faster. But if you put fuel on something that's not ready to go, you're not going to get your bang for buck. And so we want to see that there's enough traction there to really fuel you to that next level of growth. And also the only other thing that I want to see too is diverse teams. I think we are past the place where I want to see like an all-male team, right? All one race. Like we really got to stay diverse, I think, with our teams, which is just a huge point. And so Actually, now one of the very first things that we look at in our deal memos is around team makeup. And part of that is around diversity of the group that's going to be leading the company. I'm glad that you mentioned that last part about diverse teams because the research has shown that diverse teams lead to better business outcomes. I'm speaking with Brooke Daniels, the CEO of Daniels & Co. and the Director of Salesforce Ventures, Investor and Business Coach. Brooke. You are a member of the Cap Table Coalition. First, explain for listeners who might not be familiar what a cap or capitalization table is. Tell us about the Cap Table Coalition and why is it important for Black and Brown investors to take up space on cap tables of businesses led by Black and underrepresented founders? I know this is a loaded question. If you need me to repeat any part of it, <laughs> let me know. But we're starting with what is a cap table? <laughs> I was going to say, keep me honest, Michelle, if I leave out components on that question. But a cap table is effectively how in private companies, you measure who has ownership in that company. And that is ultimately what venture capital is. When we talk about private companies versus public companies, just moving the private companies that are not publicly traded yet on some market. And so when they're tilted all these dollars, whether you're writing a small check or a big check, they'll measure that the money you've invested on the cap table. And the mission of the Cap Table Coalition is to take up space on those cap tables because venture capital and private investments drive ridiculously crazy returns. I'm talking about returns 25, 30%, 40% or higher. And there's not a lot of asset classes that you can invest in to get that. Now, it is definitely higher risk, right? Higher reward. But traditionally, the best deals that are happening and going down in these private markets have not been inclusive. So they are only available to the few in between. And I would say even beyond high net worth individuals getting access. I'm talking about the level of Harvard's endowment fund and all these other large institutional organizations get to put their money in. But you don't see a lot of women putting their money in. You don't see a lot of minorities putting their money in, not because they can't, not because they don't have the money, but because they don't have the access. And that is the spirit of Cap Table Coalition is taking up space. It is a group of Black and Latinx investors who have come together to take up space on the cap table. And we ask founders whenever they're raising a round to take the pledge and open up 10% of their round specifically to the cap table coalition. So it's a commitment that at least 10% of each round that you raise will be allocated to Black and Latinx investors. 
and obviously what benefit does that have? It's one about having your cap table and the makeup of the investors in your company also represent the communities that you serve. It's the same like representation, right? We're trying to get your numbers up with a hiring. We also have an impact from an investor, right? Are really driving the direction of the company, feedback, but then also just giving other stakeholder groups a chance at wealth creation. And so that's the spirit of the Cap Table Coalition. We do invest in founders of all color in different stages, but we do also focus on making sure we look at a certain amount of deals that are coming from founders in our own groups as well. Any advice for founders when they are fundraising about how they should structure their cap table? That is a very long <laughs> question. Like maybe just a snippet, like what you can give and you're like, to be continued. Yeah. I would say one is you really got to get informed. And mm. so a book that I recommend is Venture Deals. And I will make sure I drop these books or share these links with everyone. But Venture Deals is another great book that I love and recommend. It's called Who's Smarter Than Your Lawyer and Venture Capital Capitalist by Brad Field. And what I love about it is a very founder-friendly approach to understanding all the things about the cap table, understanding the different types of paperwork that might come through in venture capital because you can structure a deal in so many different ways. And then understanding the trade-offs on ownership, which I think is hugely important to founders because every time you raise a round, your ownership as a founder gets diluted. It gets smaller and smaller as you take on more and more money. And so you start as 100% owner. If you raise all the way through a series B, C, D, you might only have 25, 15% of the company left. And so you want to be thoughtful on how much ownership you give out at each round. And so you as a founder need a strategy in place as you go in. Do not let the venture capitalist or the person on the other side of the table drive the entire conversation around the way the round shakes out. As much as we all love Shark Tank, and I think they do amazing stuff, you know what I mean? Especially if you just want an idea and you want to let it go fast, right? Some people negotiate back and get it done, but the ones that just take it off the bat, please founders out there, if you're raising venture capital and tr don't do that, get educated, have some terms and understanding and an idea how you want to shape your deal. And then you can work with right venture capitalist and get the different term sheets that you get to pick the one that best works for you. I like this book, short and to the point, understand it get educated. There are some things that you need to understand. And I think you at least laid out a few things, steps that people can take right away to understanding the importance of who's on their cap table. Now, moving into our final conversation before we wrap up, hustle culture and entrepreneurship has led to a lot of burnout and negative impacts on entrepreneurs. I know you have some different ideas about that. Tell us what this holistic hustle is about. Yes, this has actually become probably, as much as I love the other areas where I work with on entrepreneurs, I think getting people to embrace the holistic nature and seeing the changes that has in people's lives has actually been one of the most fulfilling pieces. Because if you get that piece right on the front end with mindset, wellness, feeling good and energetic, as an entrepreneur, the rest of the job gets so much easier if you're in the best place. And so the holistic hustle is all about that. How can we help people not give up on your ambition, but understand that hard work alone is not the way to get to your goals faster? Do we have to work hard? Yes, but not at a burnout and grind pace. And so for me, 
my journey was definitely one of grind culture, probably up into about five years ago, running full steam ahead, working 67 hours a week. I was teaching dance part-time, traveling for my job, and my husband had businesses, all the things. And guess what? I wasn't taking care of myself. I was not sleeping well. It was constantly caffeine to get me going during the day. I'm out at night with cocktails. And it went to a place where I finally just crashed and hit a wall. And I was like, why are the things I'm doing not helping me be as productive? Do you know? What did you feel like, Brooke, when you realized that you had crashed? One, I was being honest about watching my my productivity start to decrease and go down. And that was the thing. I was like, man, I'm still working 67 hours a week, but I'm actually getting less and less done. I was watching my focus start to go away because I was multitasking so much all the time, right? I'm on a car, I'm on instant messenger, all the things all the time. My focus started to get shorter and shorter. I was having a difficult time getting things done. And Is then- that what's happening to me? Why I can't read a book? I might have to look into that. You have to stop multitasking. Like multitasking is not a real thing. It's like actually scientifically us being really good at brain switch, like switching between different things very fast. But your brain actually can't do like multitask in that way that we think it can. It's actually not physically possible. And so I had to get away from it. It was just eating away my ability to get stuff done. And I would say physically, I noticed that I stopped enjoying the things I loved. I never had energy for anything. I didn't have energy for the people I love. Even trying to just talk to people felt like a chore. I was just always exhausted. And then, unfortunately, my sister passed away in a short order after that from a freak stroke at 39. And those things combined let me know I was not making the right choices on the way I was spending my time in life. And so I started meditating, which was life-changing for me. I subscribed to Deepak Chopra's meditation style, which let me also certify under Deepak Chopra. But a lot of that is around talking about how we get to the flow state. And even when I saw Oprah and she talked about meditating, which was the, actually convinced me to start, she said, everything in life doesn't have to feel like a struggle. Do you feel like you're constantly swimming upstream and just pushing? When you're actually in the flow, the universe and everything around you really unites, right? To help you go further faster. And so that is what I have started subscribing to and what we help other people through Holistic Hustler subscribe to is how do we get to this flow state where neuroscientists proves that you are 500% more productive in a flow state. When you're healthy, you're happy, you take time every day to do something creative, you're getting the right foods in your body, right? You have a settled mind. All of a sudden, it sounds productive, but when you stop working, and you start taking care of yourself, now you're going from burnout pace where you might be like 30% of your potential to a 500% increase. And so as an entrepreneur, think about that. If I could slow down, have more time in my day, be more creative, invest time in the things I love and the people I love, but be 500 more times productive than if I worked 60 or seven hours a week, who wouldn't want that? But the hard part is making the change. And so I recognize that just because I tell you that, and even if you believe it, doesn't mean it's easy for you to do it. As a holistic hustler, we help people go through that self-awareness journey, recharge from burnout, get their energy back, and then start to actually make the change. Because when you've got, you played at 60, 70 hours, it's like, how do I get it down to something manageable? And we help people go through that transformation. 
Brooke, where should people listening find out more information about the holistic hustle? Where should they find you and everything else that you're working on? So the best place will be on my website, which is www.thebrookdaniels.com. It will link out to all the other the other different pages that we spoke about. You can also follow along with me on LinkedIn. I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. And all of those are thebrookdaniels.com. Any last words of advice or wisdom for our listeners before we conclude? Just that every, if anyone, everyone out there listening is looking for funding, I just want to give you the confidence that you can find it. You have to really believe you can find it. So I believe in you. It's out there. Get scrappy. Get creative. But most of all, don't give up. And big dreams, big ideas are worth fighting for. You just have to really lean in and continue to get creative and find the opportunities to help you get there. I love it. Brooke, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. This was great. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't keep good content to yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know by rating, reviewing, and sharing the episode with some friends. Follow the podcast at its home on the Alive Podcast Network and on your favorite podcast streaming platforms to get notified when new episodes drop. To be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email me at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at wheresthefunding underscore podcast. And follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie, on LinkedIn and follow the show on its LinkedIn page as well. Join me next Friday for another episode.